0: the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your
1: Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. There's a song that says, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Well, I, I, that is true, but I want to say this. The longer I serve him, the more amazed I am at who he is. Mm. And and I guess what amazes me the most is his grace. And uh, so today on Exploring the Word, uh, we hope that you will be amazed at the God we serve. He is an amazing God, isn't he, Alex?
0: Well, he really is. He really is. And Bert, it's great to be on with you and talk about a subject that... Uh, I think is is really worth pondering and internalizing, and that's the subject of god's grace and you know, let me just say this in terms of apologetics and that's kind of my area to write on and research on, you know we talk a lot about the evidence for Christianity and the you know archaeology and history and things like that, and that's very important many apologists don't talk about god's grace but but i really do think that we ought to look at that because it's something absolutely unique about the biblical savior something absolutely wonderful um inexhaustible and frankly very comforting and i i'm going to give a verse but the main scripture that i think um you and i could unpack today is in first kings the old Testament book of First Kings chapter 1, and I want to talk about God's grace evidenced in that passage, but a scripture, Bert, that illustrates the grace of God, First John 4 verse 10, says this, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now to everybody listening, myself included, if, if you love the Lord, that is wonderful, but Be aware that he first loved us. You know, Bert. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love. That means he tangibly proved his love. How? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is God's grace, isn't it? It is. So, Alex, you mean to tell me
1: that in the Old Testament you find God's grace?
0: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) That was a rhetorical question. I knew that. But, you know, a lot of people I heard, you know, I see it in the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? Well, it's seen again and again and again. And we're going to see it in this amazing story. And uh, Alex, I know you want to set it up, but it is an amazing story filled with intrigue and mystery and, and danger, all of it into one. But in that all, God's grace is demonstrated, isn't it?
0: Well, it, it really is. Um, now, let's remember throughout the Old Testament, the grace of God is evident because of the plan of salvation that he was setting up. He called forth Abraham and said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And God's grace, I mean, obviously it's in the life of Jesus and in Calvary and salvation, but just the fact that in Genesis 3.15, uh, the, the first gospel where they promised one day the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, that's the promise of God's grace. And so it is there in the Old Testament as God was preparing the nation through whom the, the Savior would be born. Well, kings came and went. Israel walked with God. They backslid. They were redeemed. We, we see God's grace. But the greatest king of ancient Israel, King David, the man after God's own heart, a uh, lot, lot of parallels we could see between the life of our Savior and the life of King David and certainly his son Solomon. But uh, there's a story because every, look, everybody knows. King David also had baggage. He had an affair with Bathsheba. He was complicit with the the murder, really, of Uriah. Uh, King David, uh, he was a man of war, and he wasn't allowed to build the temple. Uh, and so there, there's a lot of good about David. There's a lot of things about David that aren't good. But I was reading this the other day, Bert, and First Kings chapter one. It's kind of a famous story. Let me set this up and then let's talk about the grace of God because you might not might not immediately see this, but I would submit God's grace is present uh, here. King David is old, and apparently it's a cold night and he's um, near the end of his life. and to our uh, sanctified ears, this is going to sound really strange, but it's in the Bible. They bring him a beautiful young woman to lay beside him for warmth, and her name is Abishag. She's a Shunammite woman. And, uh, hey, by the way, let me just parenthetically say this. If you read Song of Solomon, there's a Shunammite girl, yeah. and Song of Solomon pictures beautiful, pure love, marital love. Well, here's a Shunammite that, uh, at least for my study, represents illicit uh, uh, an illicit relationship you know let me just say this somebody asked Billy Graham years ago you know why is God against sex and Billy Graham said he's not he gave it to the human race but God loves us enough that he gave uh, an appropriate context for that to be expressed and it's a wonderful safe sanctuary called marriage and uh, so There's a Shunammite in the Old Testament that represents that which is pure and holy. I think Abishag is a Shunammite that represents something uh, potentially, if not actually unholy. Alex, Uh, let
1: me say this. She's kind of in the same boat that Bathsheba was. They went and got her and brought mm -hmm. her to the king as one that would be under coercion. Okay. yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm not disagreeing with you, but to put her as someone, oh, looking for the opportunity uh, that doesn't show
0: forth, does it? No, it doesn't. Uh, And, you know, power used um, inappropriately, um, both with Bathsheba and with Abishag being, like you said, coerced um that's the kingly powers being used in an inappropriate way right. but while this is going on cuz it says in verse 4 that they they didn't have relations David was very old but at the very same time you know she being brought in to do something that you know she probably what like you say wasn't looking for not exactly appropriate but while this is going on David has a son that is plotting to be the next king. Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, H-A-G-G-I-T-H, he says, I'm going to be the king. So he makes chariots and a parade for himself, 50 men, and it's this public thing where he's riding through the kingdom with an entourage, and presumably everybody is going to say, so, wow, well, you know, this must be the next king. And he's the younger brother of Absalom. Yeah, that's and, that's
1: interesting, isn't it, that uh, that yeah. would run. Do you think it names the mother? And I'm just throwing this in. Uh, remember where we are in our story. Uh, that mother may have had some input, may not have, but having two sons that would rise up to do that. Uh, yeah. she was, I think she was kind of wanting to have the power within her uh, yeah. to demonstrate this.
0: Yeah, I, I think so, because remember the rebellion that took place under Absalom, and then, of course, uh, Absalom died a a very uh, unfortunate death, but Adonijah um, is going to make himself king. He gets uh, Joab and uh, Abiathar, the priest, and they give their support. It's interesting, Nathan and Zadok, who are... Uh, the, the conservative biblical preachers in town. They don't side with Adonijah. In fact, they're not even invited to get into his entourage. But Adonijah, Adonijah builds this coalition. And then he makes this public sacrifice of some livestock uh, as, if, as, as if it's got the sanctioning of God. And let me just say, I don't want to get too much off track, because God is going to intervene with this usurper of the throne. But you know what? In our day, Bert, uh, we've got people that uh, do things with great pomp and fanfare and even tack some religious language on top of it. But just because there might even be some clergy and a prayer and something that has the outward machinations of spirituality, that doesn't necessarily mean it's biblical or of God, does it?
1: It does not. And again, you've got to look at the meaning, the purpose. you got to look under the facade. Uh, you, you've got to look deeper. Even when Jesus was shown, it, it was demonstrated that God was, was taking him. He was the one. When Jesse had his sons to be looked at by Samuel to see who would be the next king, uh, God said, Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance. Look on the inside. Look at that heart of that person. So just because it looks good on the outside does not mean that it's the right thing on the
0: inside, Alex. Exactly. Folks, we're we're kind of setting up what's going on in 1 Kings chapter 1, and then we're going to pull out uh, at least a half a dozen examples of God's grace mightily set forth in this scenario. Uh, But let me say this. As Adonijah is plotting to become king, David is old. David is elderly. Uh, David's got, um, you know, probably health issues at at least. So the the kingdom is in a tenuous position, and here's this opportunist, Adonijah. Somebody else that he doesn't invite to his self-structured coronation is uh, Benaiah, the special guard of his brother Solomon. So notice the people that are not uh, really a part of this, Bathsheba, David's wife. Um, Nathan, a very godly, discerning prophet, uh, and then uh, any of the people that would potentially be loyal to Solomon. Now, if you know your biblical Israeli history, Solomon is going to be the king after David. But right now, by verse 10, that seems to hang in the balance. But you know who sees all this going on behind the scenes? And I would encourage everybody, because we're living in a time in our own nation of wokeness, opportunism, spreading uh, hate about our country, many people repudiating the very foundations that this godly nation was originally built on. Then, as now, God sees it all. The things behind closed doors, the things done in secret, the things done from a a heart with wrong motives. The Holy Spirit knows about this, doesn't he, Bert? He does, and he
1: is active in it, and the man that went to see David to correct him after the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, guess what? He uses him now not not to correct him, but to warn him and say, they're going in the wrong direction. Nathan is a man that God uses to correct, but also the man he uses to warn and share and also a plan. He has a plan. Nathan doesn't go in not knowing what to do. He goes in knowing we've got to do something, and he has the knowledge wherewith to do it. And so, yeah. Alex, God made this known to Nathan. Nathan says we can't let this happen because this is not God's will. That's the bottom line. Is this where God's direction is leading or is this a usurper? The whole idea was Adonijah was a usurping authority person. And, and so the time to act was now. And yeah. so sometimes the acting is very important and the timing of it. And I would say this also, the individuals that's involved in it are there to correct and to do God's will. That's exciting. And we're going to see more about this story and the grace that is revealed in this as we come back for more of Exploring the Word. Now, back to the Bible study. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. It's about the cross.
0: Sin. it's about how jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again it's about the stone you know one day believers are going to hear those words from the lord come ye blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world welcome back to exploring the word alex and bert here And you're listening to the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about the grace of God and pulling out some lessons about God's grace from what might be a little bit of an unexpected source. But I think you'll see vividly um, why we are pointing out the examples of God's grace from 1 Kings chapter 1. And I want to finish really setting this up. But, Bert, you know, I'm reading this. Here's King David. He's old. Adonijah. um, Listen. Politically... Uh, publicly and spiritually, he's he's trying to show that he he's got to be the man. He's got this entourage. He's he's put a cabinet together. Going to parade it through the streets. He's got some people around him that are going to be you know supporters. And then he's got some a little bit of sacrifice they're going to do. I mean, he's uh, he's uh, declaring, but. God has other plans, but let, let me say this. Already, even if we didn't have the rest of 1 Kings chapter 1, 11 and following, which we do, I mean, there, there's enough for a movie script right here, isn't it?
1: It is. It's filled with intrigue, and uh, it's action-packed as well. And uh, when we get Benaiah, you was talking about Benaiah earlier. When we get Beniah in there, we have some uh, violence a little bit. This guy, now, who is this Beniah? I wanted to make sure I had the opportunity to share with you. He's one of David's mighty men matter mm-hmm. of fact there's given to him quite a bit of information in second samuel when they were talking about in second samuel 23 through 20 he's the man that was jumped in a pit with a lion on a snowy day and walked out to live to tell about it and uh he there's four verses there And Benaiah became the leader, as you said earlier, of the group, and he's a mighty warrior. So here, notice what you have. You have Nathan the prophet who is, is bold but also sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We have Bathsheba who has been given the promise and heard the promise that her son Solomon would be the king earlier. We have Zadok, the priest, who has convictions and and taken you know the people to God. He is he's doing his job, and then you have a warrior, Beniah. Mm-hmm. That uh, is he's a part holy of the security detail. It is isn't he? that's a holy host, Alex. And so uh, these people take action. And you were talking about in our day, I believe it with all my heart. God lines up certain people with certain credentials, with certain qualities but all have to have courage all four of these individuals demonstrate great great courage and
0: we need some of that today well a- absolutely absolutely and so so you see the players here in uh, Beniah, you know, like part of Solomon's you know bodyguards or security detail and twice In the life of the kingdom, I mean, certainly there were more times that Nathan was used by God, but two very prominent times um, in calling out David's sin regarding Bathsheba, you know, Nathan famously went in and said, thou art the man. And now he's going to go before uh, Bathsheba and then together they will go in front of King David. In, In a way, God used Nathan to help save the king and now the kingdom to bring David under conviction and now to bring awareness about this coup attempt in process. And Bert, if, if a filmmaker ever did a movie of this, couldn't you picture Nathan himself old now? Yeah. He's, he's praying, and God reveals to him what's going on. Verse 11, I want to read some of this. Then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggath, has become king, and our Lord David knows nothing about it? Now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go into King David and say, My Lord the king, did you not swear to me your servant? This is Bathsheba. Uh, David is her husband, but she's also a subject of this kingdom. Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me. See, David had made a promise, and he will sit on my throne. And probably there was a a, a wise pause there. Yes, I, sure, I did promise you that. Okay, verse 13. Then why has Adonijah become king? While you are still there talking to the king, I will come in and add my word to what you have said, Nathan promises. So... You know, Bert, I'm going to say uh, the way Nathan sets this up and encourages Bathsheba to bring it before David, uh, it would have been an arresting conversation. David might have been shivering, trying to keep warm, an old man under some blankets, but I guarantee uh, he still would have had enough fire in him to to sit bolt upright and say, what? And uh, so this this conversation that Nathan is coaching Bathsheba to have— it would have put David on red alert very quickly, wouldn't it?
1: It would not. It would. And then also I would say this. This is in front of two witnesses. You see, uh, Nathan knew what was demanded of God, you know, in the face of witnesses. So here is is Bathsheba going in, and then Nathan comes in and it is backed up to witnesses. And then you have Abishag who is there in verse 15. Now, the king was very old, and, he, and she was there serving him. She was waiting on him. Uh, she, she was serving as a nurse as well. She had multiple tasks, and uh, so she was there to observe it and see it. So not only is it intrigued, but I would say it was very well thought of through a legal process, Alex, so yeah, that, that yeah. witnesses could be confirmed. And so she goes in. She does exactly what she meant to do. And and David welcomes her. And And what is your wish? What do you desire? So David makes himself open to her. That that relationship was such that Nathan knew that it was best for Bathsheba to go first, not only as the mother of Solomon, but I think also as someone that David loved and cared for.
0: Well, and doesn't this, in a way, remind you of Esther going in before the it king? It does.
1: I thought of that, yes.
0: And, uh, you know, Nathan and Mordecai had similar ministries in, in this uh, context. Okay, Esther and Bathsheba had similar ministries. David and Artaxerxes both responded. And, and here's the thing. Periodically, God's plan of salvation uh, had to be preserved. Um, Satan has always been trying, whether it was through somebody like Haman or now Adonijah, Satan has tried to derail God's plan of salvation. But Bathsheba goes in. And she says exactly the right things. I mean, she goes in there, Adonijah is all about this. Now now listen to this in verse 19. Adonijah has sacrificed great numbers of cattle, calves, sheep, invited all the king's sons, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army, but he has not invited Solomon your servant, my lord the king. This is Bathsheba talking to David. The eyes of all Israel are on you to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, as soon as you die, as soon as you are laid to rest with your ancestors, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. In other words, so she's giving him incentive to act, first of all, because Adonijah's acting in rebellion. Secondly, um, if this thing goes public and you don't do anything about it, That would really, what she's essentially saying is look, your last great act of leadership, you don't want to fail at. And by the way, David, if you ever did love me and your son Solomon, help save our life because the minute you die, um, we, having sided with you, we're going to be enemies of the state if Adonijah becomes king. I mean, there's a lot at play here, isn't there, Bert?
1: There is, and Nathan is waiting in the wings. He's waiting for his cue. He knows when to go in. And I love the way verse 22 says it. And just then, when and while she was still talking, Nathan the prophet also came in, and they announced him, here is Nathan the prophet. Now, two people that go back to identifying David Sin. Now get this in mind, and then this comes along, and they're identifying the sin of his son, what he's doing, and so Alex, uh, the the intrigue is there, turning the tables, as you said about a movie script. This those oh of us God. that are old enough to appreciate Alfred Hitchcock and his movies and the master storyteller, tw- yeah, the twist that he has on it. This is the twist. These two people. Bathsheba and Nathan, connected with that horrible, hideous sin, is now here to look and to help David in restoring, or it really is restoring because his son, uh, Bunjad is is ready to take over, and it's Mm -hmm. not God's will. So here comes Nathan in, and he affirms what Bathsheba has said. That's the two witnesses, Alex.
0: Well, and, and let me say this. Um, you know, we are to be wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves, Matthew ten sixteen says. Okay, Adonijah has been plotting and scheming. He's got his little plan. He's working out. But I want to tell you, Nathan and Bathsheba, brilliantly, <laughs> they've got their uh, punch list, too. And you're right, just at the right moment. Nathan comes in. And I've got to believe he was probably outside the door listening, I'm sure, praying. Uh, Verse 22, while Bathsheba is still speaking, Nathan comes in. All right. This is amazing, Bert, because you think about this. Years have gone by. Here's King David as a young man um, took Bathsheba, had Uriah killed. Now, Now, Solomon is a beloved son because you remember Bathsheba's child out of wedlock died and David mourned that child what and we're talking about grace what if years prior uh, uh, or years ago what if Bathsheba now she's old herself uh, older at least but what if she said you know um, decades ago this is the man responsible for my husband dying well I'm going to just let it play out and his beloved son Solomon will die. It's payback, you know? Turnabout is fair play, but she didn't do that. And here's Nathan. I mean, you think about this. Here's, here's the pastor that um, had to call out my adulterous husband. And, uh, you, you know, I mean, think about three people with history. King David, godly, wise Nathan the prophet... Bathsheba, who in many ways was a victim, because David, you know, you you talk about uh, abuse of power, sexual harassment. She did become the wife of David, and I'm sure there were many blessings that went with that. But, you know, in a way, I mean, she got pulled into his orbit because of his lust. Talk about three people with lots of history and even some baggage And yet, to save the kingdom, really to keep the plan of salvation. Now, there's more going on here than they even realize. But here's the thing. Nathan comes in, says, David, have you declared Adonijah to be king after you? Because this is what's happening. He's gone down, sacrificed, invited the king's sons. Right now, they are eating and drinking with him, saying, in verse 25, Long live King Adonijah, (laughs) but me... Your servant and Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and your servant Solomon, he did not invite. Is this something my lord the king has done without letting all the rest of us know who should sit on the throne? And King David says, Call in Bathsheba. So she came in. And verse 29 David promises. He's making a vow here. Um, Now he's already made this promise, but lest there be any ambiguity. As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon will be the king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. And, uh, Bert, before we go too much farther, and then we're going to talk about the grace of God present in this, David makes this prayer, uh, he's alerted to what's going on, and, uh, let me say this now, folks. Um, the Bible says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. There, there's a lot in our nation right now that makes my heart heavy. Bert, does it Does it? you? Uh, abortion, uh, wokeness, um, our wandering away from moral truth, Christianity. Every day, every single day of the week, Bert, I'm corresponding with people broken about how their Christian teenagers have gone away to college and have been groomed into being atheists and agnostics. America's wonderful history is being just trashed. And it could, frankly, be a little bit depressing. But I want to say, everybody, God sees, God knows, and just like Adonijah, and his retinue were off eating and drinking and celebrating the king, the kingdom that they've plotted how to steal. God's got an intervention coming, and I believe, um, I think it's going to be revival. I think it's going to be some proclamation of truth. I think there's some courageous, brave leaders being groomed in the bullpen. But when when treachery is being played out. God might stand by for a moment while people lay a snare for themselves, but God intervenes at just the right time. I think he's going to intervene in our nation as well, Bert.
1: Think of the cross. Look what was happening. God's son was being, quote, crucified, but God was in control. Even today, we can trust him. He is in control. Let's trust him. We'll be back with more after this break. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio.
0: As we go, let us make
1: disciples. As we go, let us tell the world of pride. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Let me remind you, this is a pre-recorded program. Alex and I, or one of us, is not able to be with you today for some reason and uh, so this is a pre-record, so we'll not have any call-ins today. But we'd remind you, you can go to Word at afr.net and ask your questions. And uh, some most of the time we'll answer on the radio. Ever so often, there be something personal or something quick that we need to uh, respond to. We try to do that as well. But we appreciate you listening, and we're finishing up First Kings chapter 1 and telling the story, and then we're going to look at the grace that was shown in this intriguing story. But I do want to make this known. We've got where David has been alerted about his son's rebellion and the people who have come in and told him. And here is King David's response in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 32. Notice what he does. It's kind of like a roll call. And he said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Beniah the son of Jehoiada, so they can come before the king. This is a roll call of faithful warriors. Now, there's one that's a prophet, one that is a priest, and the other one that is truly a warrior. And these three make a great trinity of of followers of David, now I'm not saying they're God, don't you hear me say that, but have you noticed how many times God uses threes involved in something like this, Alex?
0: Yes, absolutely. Three is very significant in Scripture. And you know, whether it's um a reference to the nature of God or or circumstances playing out, or sometimes like a coalition of people or groups. But you're right, and that that's present in this account as well and the struggle is over who's going to be the next king Adonijah is plotting uh, and I'm going to finish kind of setting this up and then I want to draw some lessons for for ourselves from out of this David is reacting he says okay no no Adonijah is not going to be the king Solomon is and you've got my word on that and so uh, they've got their own like beginning in verse 38 they've got their own Kind of ceremony, you might say. Zadok, Nathan, Benaiah, uh, and also some migrants that are really Jewish proselytes are mentioned. The Carathites and Pelathites, if I'm pronouncing that right, went down and had Solomon mount King David's mule and they escorted him. Okay, so there's their own entourage after Adonijah's, you know, false fake entourage. Zadok the priest took horn from the oil of the sacred tent, anointed Solomon, they sounded the trumpet and everybody knows Solomon is going to be king. So Adonijah, I'm picturing this dinner they've thrown. they've got a catered celebration dinner and um, you know they're with him. and what's all this noise we're hearing? And uh, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, comes in. Adonijah says, come on in, a worthy man like you must be bringing good news. "Uh, No, says Jonathan. What I'm here to tell you is that Solomon is king. Now, Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, grabs the horns of the altar. I'm a dead man. Solomon is going to be king, the son of Bathsheba. And I, the son of Haggith, I'm not going to be king. But Solomon says, uh, "No, uh, I'm king. But here's the thing: uh, as long as you're not going to be uh, an insurrectionist or a usurper, I'm not going to hurt a hair of, of your head. Go on home." Now, we're we're really abbreviating what truly could be. Uh, an incredible novel or movie. Yeah, you're but right. Wanna...
1: You, so much. And, and the rest of the story, you read, If you, we're going to stop in chapter one, but read chapter two, and you'll find out what all happens after this. And so, so chapter two is kind of along with it, Alex, but you're exactly right. When God intervenes, he intervenes with these people who have strength and a plan. And it, it makes everything else pale, and uh, but Solomon's a fair man. He gives his brother an opportunity to recant and prove himself, doesn't he?
0: He really does. He, he really
1: does. And that's um, grace, wouldn't you say? That a, we're exactly. About grace. Go ahead.
0: yeah Well, I'm gonna. I want to pull out uh, really about eight examples of the grace of God. Um, do you remember that old hymn? Wonderful grace of Jesus. Uh, Greater than all my sin, how shall my tongue describe it? Where shall his praise begin? Okay, the grace of God, folks, the plan of salvation, in spite of Satan's repeated attempts to leave the human race without a redeemer. And remember, Israel was birthed. Israel was called into the land. All those sacrifices in the temple that were the the temporary covering of sin. They pointed to Jesus, who would die on Calvary, rise from the dead. His blood would be the permanent eradication of sin. All right, it's all because of God's grace. And today, you and I, we can know that we're saved. We can not only have a home in heaven, but the presence of the Lord all through life down here. Bert, history is jam-packed. With God's grace. Here's some examples here. Okay. The grace of God was shown in that Nathan, the prophet, was alerted to Adonijah's schemes. You know, praise God that the Holy Spirit spoke to Nathan about this. I think God's grace was shown in that Nathan, um, he might have said, you yeah, know, I'm old. Yeah, I don't need this drama. At this part in my life, What's going to happen is going to happen. No. Nathan was willing, courageously, to go, and certainly he prayed, sought wisdom from God, and he goes to enlist the help of Bathsheba.
1: Alex, let me say this. Grace and wisdom here in this story are parallel with one another. Not mm-hmm. only grace, but through grace, wisdom is given Again to Nathan, but to, I, I would say to Bathsheba and to Zadok, the it's demonstrated that that grace is shown along with wisdom.
0: Amen. Amen. and And let me say this, um, regardless of um, what Abishag's duties were, I got to tell you, let's say she was just a nurse. And nothing more. But she's young. She's beautiful. There, there ain't a wife who's ever lived that's going to enjoy the fact that the husband is laying there getting doted on by a pretty young girl. And yet, God, God's grace is shown in that Bathsheba cared enough about David, his legacy. She seeks an audience with David, and she goes in even in the presence of of Abishag, and God's grace is demonstrated. Okay, here's David, Bathsheba, and they go way back, (laughs) and Nathan. You know, my goodness. I, I think about this, Bert. You remember Mary and Elizabeth? Okay, Mary is the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. I've often thought how... Uh, There's never been two expectant mothers in all of history that had more to talk about than Mary and Elizabeth. Well, here, David, Bathsheba, and Nathan talk about a group with a lot they could discuss over coffee. Boy, they've got a lot of history under the bridge, don't they? They do. And And, they gather to plan how they're going to courageously stand up for God's truth. Uh, This is grace, isn't it?
1: It is, and I really believe because of their past and each person doing what they should have done brought them to this place of trust now. We were talking about wisdom, going along with grace. Let me share with you, trust goes along with it as well. Bathsheba trust. uh Uh, you know, that what Nathan was telling her was true. She also went in to King David trusting that Nathan was going to come in and do what he said he would do. So this grace is built from God to each one of these to trust one another as they trust God to bring it about. So, again, so much character and so many of the characteristics of God are being demonstrated in this story, Alex.
0: Well, you know, it's been said, and I think this is attributed to George Washington, that friendship is a plant of slow growth. And, and friendship uh, should not be like the grass of a summer afternoon, but an oak tree that can span for centuries. And let me encourage people— even look, in, in life and certainly in church work, sometimes you get sideways with people and Bert, I've I've had people say things, you know, traveling, you speak in two thousand churches, you hear a lot of stories and somebody will say, Well, we had such and such happen years ago and I'll I just I know they're they're going to heaven, so am I, but I'm just never gonna to speak to them again. Look, don't be that way. Um we are if you're born again, we are all gonna be in heaven. And I have found along the journey of life, um, you really, you ought not burn any bridges because eventually your path and somebody else's path is going to intersect again. <laughs> Guaranteed. And, and I, I think about it, <laughs> Guaranteed, look, we, yeah. we all need each other. The body needs the body. And, and I'm so blessed, you know, I can, I meet people that were friends of my parents Fifty years ago, and now they're colleagues and friends in my life, you know. And I don't know, when I see David Bathsheba and Nathan gather here, and they're talking about the plan of God, the kingdom of Israel, and ultimately the lineage that would lead us to the Bethlehem manger, the Savior. God's grace is demonstrated. They have an opportunity to intervene. David is by God's grace is given an opportunity to intervene and save his kingdom. And God's grace is shown in that Solomon, the son of Bathsheba, which is, this is God's plan anyway, because Solomon will build the temple. David might have accumulated the lumber and the raw materials, but it's going to be Solomon that's going to build the temple, not Adonijah. But Solomon was successfully anointed he as was. king. He
1: was. Alex, let me add one more. I, the grace is demonstrated again in the grand, but I'm looking at other things that come along with grace, and here's another one. We talked about wisdom. We talked about trust. The promises of God. Here it is, the promises of God. What were we talking about that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. We're talking about the promise that was given to, to Solomon. So this grace is connected to the promises of God. And in our lives, I would say the same thing is true. God's grace demonstrated to us is, is comes to us because of the promises that God has made to man and to those that would trust him. So here, God's grace shown to David. Keeping his promise. God's grace shown that David was the anointed king, keeping God's promise. All under the grace of God.
0: Bert, I read a story um, that really touched my heart. In fact, it it it's a somewhat lengthy story, and if you ever get a chance to read it, I mean it'll just about put a tear in your eye. Talking about the blessing of God's grace. And and let me say this, folks: if you're a born-again believer, uh, God loves you so much. Oh, my goodness, we don't even have words adequate to convey what it means to be loved by God. I want to say, if you've never trusted Christ, oh, I wish I had the adjectives sufficient to convey how much the Lord loves you. And if you will call on the name of Jesus, the love of God will rush into your life. The grace of God is your gift if you'll receive it. Bert, there was a... Uh, writer Timothy Paul Jones talked about an adopted daughter. All right, there was a little girl, eight years old. She had been in a first adoptive family. It just didn't work out because that family, for some reason, showed preference to the biological kids but not to the adopted little girl. And this girl wanted to go to Disney World so badly. And the adopt the the biological children were taken to disney world but the 8-year-old adopted girl was not allowed to go to disney world and it, that really hurt so she gets put in a new adoptive family that really really shows her unconditional love and they say listen we're going to go uh, we're going to go to disney world one of these times and thinking the children would get excited but the 8-year-old girl she knew she had never been allowed to go to Disney World, and she assumed, because she had never really experienced unconditional love, that she wouldn't be included on the trip. Somehow, before they all went, uh, she'd be cut out. And as it got closer and closer, she kind of misbehaved. And she was acting out, because she, at that point, she didn't know how to really trust that she would be given the, the... fun time at Disney World like you know all the other kids but here's the thing they go and they have this wonderful time uh, and she says this uh, after the day at the amusement park she's being tucked in bed and they say what did you think and she said I finally got to go to Disney World but it wasn't because I was good it was because I was yours see she hadn't been good she had acted out And she understood. She said, I wasn't blessed with this trip because I deserved it and had been good. I went because I belong to you, mom and dad. Now, that's the message of grace. Here's the thing. We often rebel. We have sin. We uh, we don't believe. We don't trust. But here's the thing. God loves you not because you're good. God loves you because if you're a believer, you are His. And that is grace.
1: And that grace is available to you. And let me just suggest, if you haven't experienced that grace, there's a number you can call, 888-NEED-HIM. These are our partners in ministry. They'll take time with you and talk with you and help you come into that relationship where you're His. Because we, you and I, can never be good enough to deserve it. But He loves us that He might give it. Come to Christ Thank you, Alex. Thank you for that grace that is shown
0: to us. Amen. 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 Folks, thanks for listening to Exploring the Word. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word. Most of all, tell everybody about Jesus.